Worth repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, Real Ale Brewing Company, Texas A&M University, San Antonio, and Do210.com. Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. This is the second part of our storytelling event about rumors, gossip, and all things behind-the-scenes drama. Our first storyteller is Celia Montalvo. Celia shares a story about a dude that had no business giving her a nickname. I definitely have had my fair share of being on a lot of dating apps. Like, has anybody else? I know I'm not the only one. So definitely used to be on and off. Almost every dating app, I've probably been on it. Um, but this is a specific like story um, on Bumble about one of the most like emotionally taxing situationships I was in. <laughs> and so that is this story. So a couple of years ago, I matched with this guy on Bumble. Um, he only has one photo. I'm like, okay, this is a little sus, but He's not super hot, so I'm like, okay. Like, he's normal, he's normal. Um, on his bio, it says he's a paralegal, like he's in law school. I'm very enticed, obviously. Um, so we, we're messaging back and forth um, for a couple of weeks, um, but we're both in school, so we can't really meet um, with our hectic schedules. And then uh, we end up meeting in person. And it was very, um, right away, like this situation, like this emotional, connection flourished between us. And I was pretty into him, he was into me, but it was definitely more like a friends with benefits type situation between us. Um, but he was like, I don't wanna date you seriously. I'm like, yeah, me neither, like, whatever. <laughs> me neither, am I right? Um, and so we got pretty close. Like, I thought we were really close friends. Um, like, we would watch Lord of the Rings, we'd watch documentaries. Um, we would um, always eat McRib, rip the McRib. <laughs> like, not the best thing for my stomach, but you know, it was like late at night. Um, he definitely told me like secrets and like intimate details. Like, um, I was the first person he called when he got kicked out of law school. Like, you know, casual stuff. Like, you know, I definitely thought we were friends at that point. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, we're kind of talking, we're chatting, we're hanging out, you know, I'm having a, I'm having a great time with this guy. And we slowly um, kind of distance each other. He's definitely dis distancing from me. I'm a little confused. Um, he used to call me a lot, and then I suddenly was getting no phone calls from him. And then one of the last times I spoke to him, I invited him to my birthday party. And I was really excited. I was like, oh, um, I want to invite you to my birthday party. He's like, oh, I'm dating this new girl. I'm like, that's great. You can bring her to my birthday party. <laughs> you know, we're all good. It's all peaches and gravy. I thought we were like Bert and Ernie type buds, but I thought. Um, and then slowly after that, I don't hear from him. I'm, I'm ghosted. I was blocked. And I'm super frustrated. I'm, I'm sad about it, I'm furious, 
I have this disdain towards him. Like, if I see him out in public, it's on site type deal. Um, <laughs> but I, I get over it, you know? Like, he's, he doesn't exist anymore in my life, so it, it becomes mutual. I don't have feelings for this man anymore. And so about six months later, um, he calls me. And I'm like, why do I still have this number saved? Um, and so I don't answer, he texts me, he calls, he texts, it's very vague, he never leaves a voice message, the texts are very brief, like, hey, hi, Y-U-D, what's up? I'm like, there's no substance here, like, why is this person trying to reconnect? So I ignore it, like, I delete it right away. And then it kind of stops after a month of him persisting for some reason. And about two weeks after that, I get this text. And it says, hi, Celia, this is Kelly. I used to date Ryan, which is the guy. Um, so I used to date Ryan, and I definitely think he wronged both of us. And I just really wanted to chat with you to get some closure. And I'm like, oh boy, what, what is about to snowball? So I'm excited, I feel like a little chismosa, I'm like, what's happening, like, what's going on? Like, like ooh, tell me more. Um, and she tells me how she, those past six months where I was blocked, um, they were dating. So Ryan and Kelly were dating and it was going well and then Apparently, I came up, and apparently I found out I had a nickname between them, which I thought was strange. Like, a, like you know, like couples have nicknames, but this couple had a nickname for me. <laughs> I was like, since when am I a part of this relationship? Okay, and so she tells me that he would always lie and make up stories on how he knew me and so apparently he had come up with this um, elaborate narrative of how he met me playing Dungeons and Dragons and how I was very internet culture femme cell um, <laughs> very awkward embarrassing like undateable apparently in his mind um, and so that was the nickname that he had created for me D&D girl I was like, what? And as she's telling me this story, I tell Kelly right away, Mans has never played D&D. &D. Like, I've invited him to my campaign. Not interested, but whatever, you know. And so she continues to tell me um, how the relationship ended, and then she's telling me one of their very first dates, um, they went to the Blue Star Arts Complex. And I'm an artist, I'm a gallerist, I definitely am pertinent in that area. Um, I hang around there, I have shows there. I'm in the area. And, <laughs> and one of their first dates was there, and then she proceeds to tell me that she had a really good time with him on the date. However, the whole time he was kind of looking over his shoulder, like very nervous. Kelly says, Ryan, why are you nervous? Ryan says, Oh, um, 
I have a friend that works in this area, and I just really don't want to run into her. And I'm thinking, why is he in my area? And then I'm thinking, I think I've just scarred this man from ever coming around the Blue Star Arts Complex ever again. So that's kind of excited about my impact, but, um, you know. And so I'm, I'm just really confused, I'm alarmed. Um, so then I'm thinking, like, what, what's going on? Like, why, why is this happening? And so I'm kind of talking to my friends about this, about the nickname that I have, and we're, we're kind of trying to, like, think, like, why would he do this? Like, why would this man, like, do this to me? And so we're trying to, like, obviously they're supporting me. They're like, what the heck? Like, why would that guy do that? Um, and it was really nice talking to Kelly about that. And all those stories, like, I'm really glad she was honest and told me, but it was just really distracting because her voice was very feminine, a little too feminine, like almost like anime character, like, oh my gosh, Celia, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I'm like, I'm a little distracted right now, but thank you for being honest. Um, <laughs> and so whenever me and my friends kind of talk about Ryan or he comes up or, you know, we talk about paralegals or something of that nature, we're, I always think about um, the nickname that we kind of call him and I always say, Paralegal, more like paraloser. <laughs> Our next storyteller is Diva. Diva shares a story about a recognizable voice that stiffed her a bit too hard. How are we doing? Now, you did hear the name Diva, that is my name, and you're about to get a snippet of where that comes from, but first, the first thing you have to know about me is that I am a stand-up and sketch comedy nerd. A nerd. Like, when I was 10 years old, I was digging my parents' comedy records out when they, you know, weren't listening, and I, I heard Carlin and Pryor and Bill Cosby, and by the time I was 13, I was sneaking out of bed at night to watch all the HBO specials and so forth, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a lot shorter than people imagine, and I'm a lot older than I look, so uh, this was in the 70s that I was doing this. Um, in the 80s, I just watched everything I could at the advent of Comedy Central. I started watching everything that they put together. So I've been at this a long time. I go to shows, I go to festivals. I, I know a lot about comedy. When somebody is on The Simpsons and I hear their voice, I go, isn't that so-and-so? My husband will go, no, and will IMDb that shit. And <laughs> there it is. I know who it is. So this is going to sound like a tangent, but bear with me. It all comes together. At the ripe old age of 26 in the 90s, I decided with two friends of mine that we were gonna start a phone sex service, okay? Now it's the 1990s. What do we not have in the 90s? Internet, caller ID, call waiting was new. Um, what we did was we had a bank that we set up with and marginal businesses as they were then as they are now, the banks are like, hey, you're gonna take credit cards, it's fine. You get a few chargebacks, you have some problems, we're gonna shut you down. Cool, no problem. Three of us ran the, the, con the company, we had contractors that worked beneath us as well. Eventually we had like 14 people working at this 
phone sex company. The three of us would take the office phone calls. Now, the three of us have two different voices. The office voice that takes the name, the, the address that's on the card, the phone number, uh, the card number, everything that you need to run the charge, and then we call the bank, because there's no smart machines or any, you know, we had to run it on one of those little <laughs> card machines. So we had to call it in, we had to, had to get it approved. So the phone rings and I'm like, hi, thank you for calling, who's the person that you wanna talk to today? Yes, I'd like to speak to, and they would tell me who they wanted to talk to. Great. Each one of us also had our phone voice. Two of us were professional dominatrixes at the time. One of us was a professional submissive, so we had, you know, a niche. <laughs> so I get a phone call one afternoon, and I pick it up, and this person, you know, hi, thank you for calling. Who would you like to talk to today? I would like to talk to Diva. And I go, all right, that's my alter ego. I can do this. So go ahead, and, and I'm thinking, I recognize this person's voice. Where do I know this voice from? So he's talking to me, and he's like, well, you know, I'm interested in this and that other thing. I'm like, okay, cool. Let me go ahead and get your name and your address, and we have, to, we have to get all this information to run it through the bank. So I get his name, and I go, oh, didn't you have a show in development on Comedy Central recently? <laughs> he goes, yeah, that's been canceled. And I went, oh, that's too bad. And I just, you know, did my office voice. So, you know, I alter egos. Did my office voice called the bank, got everything approved, called him back and said, hey, um, Diva is available. You can call her at X number, gave him the number. Just call her whenever you're ready. You're set for an hour. Now Diva <laughs> was a hard ass and would pick up the phone and say things like, what do you want? And to this day, we did our hour, it was great. I'm not gonna tell you about it, but one of the reasons I loved this job so hard and I still love every story about it is that I love men and the way that they think. They have the most beautiful minds about sexual fantasies I have ever encountered. There are foot fetishists and humiliation junkies and there's, there's this thing called sploshing. Now I can tell by the laughs, most of you don't know, sploshing is when you play with your food in a sexual way. I actually had a client that I would talk to on the phone and I would make him pour cream corn on himself. Oh, fabulous. Loved him. All right, so we finish our hour and I'm like, in my, in my head, I'm like, this is a business transaction, get through it. And the other half of me is going, oh my God, I can't believe you just talked to him. So if you want to know who it is, you can ask me after the show and I'm still not going to tell you. <laughs> you, can, you can just, you know, ask away. Just drop names. It's not Bill Cosby because I wouldn't remember, remember if it was him, so. Thank you, Tori. So anyway, we hang up. Two weeks later, there's a phone call at the office line. Pick up. Hi, who is it that you'd like to talk to today? Actually, I, I, ha I have a billing problem. Oh, okay, and I'm, same voice. I know who this is. I talked to you for over an hour. Um, okay, what seems to be the problem? Well, see, my brother got a hold of my credit card. Excuse me, what? I didn't say that. In my head, I'm going, what? I know this is you, fucker. I know this is you. Well, see, he got a hold of my credit card, and he's been calling sex lines, and he's been charging things to my credit card. Cool. And I can't argue with it, because if we get too many chargebacks, we're going to get shut down. 
There's only so many banks that will deal with us. Cool, let me run that refund for you. What was that card number again? Because we don't keep anything on file. That's just dangerous. <laughs> Shred. Um, I get all of his information. I run the card, and I say, you can call your bank now. The credit is there, and thank you. Have a nice day. He hangs up the phone, and I immediately call every other phone sex service that we know of in the country, and I let them know who this person is. Do not take this person's calls. <laughs> Come to find out about a month or so later that he had been doing this to several of our girls as well as other people in the industry, and he got blacklisted so hard. To this day, I don't know if, if he ever called anybody again, but I'm a stand-up comedy nerd. I go to festivals. I go to shows. I love this man's comedy, and I have since the early 90s. And so I have seen him in person and shaken his hand since the 90s. Shook his hand, great show, thank you for having this. Went to a charity event that he was hosting, thank you for doing this. I have signed posters by this man, signed DVDs by this man, and whether he's put it together or not, I have no idea and I don't care. Because one of my favorite things to do in the world is when he appears on YouTube or TV or I see him in any context. I love to point and go, bitch, where's my money? Thank you. Our last storyteller is Justin Governall. Justin shares a story about a night he thought ended when he passed out in the backseat of a car. All right, so it is rumored that Marines do not lie, cheat, or steal and I'm just here to clear the air. <laughs> All right, 2007, I'm um, hanging out with my buddies in San Diego, California, right? And um, I'm hanging out with my other Marine buddies, and, you know, it's a typical Friday night of, you know, avoiding the mental thoughts of, like, what the war could bring on, you know, whatever. And so we're just drinking heavily, and uh, I can't stay awake. I'm, like, really drunk. And so my buddies say, hey, man, you need to keep partying. You need to wake up here. And they give me a, a monster energy drink, and they put a five-hour energy inside of it. Oh. Yeah. That's my last memory. <laughs> so I, they, you know, I get too drunk. They put me to, to sleep in the back of my friend's car. All good. Not a big deal, right? I got too drunk. I wake up. Some guy is yanking me out of the vehicle. And as he's, as he's yanking me out of the vehicle, I'm, I mean, I'm very intoxicated. I'm also very confused. I'm just trying to, to get some, uh, you know, awareness of where I'm at. And as I start looking around and I'm rubbing my eyes trying to see where I'm at, he slaps a handcuff on me, handcuffed to my friend, and he says, shut the fuck up, motherfucker. And I'm like, what? what? And I rub my eyes and I see a street sign. It's a stop sign that says, alto. <laughs> yeah, dog. I'm in Tijuana, Mexico. So I look at my buddy that I'm handcuffed to, and I'm like, Chris, we're in Tijuana. And he says, I'm sorry, man. I just wanted to get some strippers. And I'm like, we're in Tijuana. And he, and he starts trying to make the situation better by saying, I tried to wake you up, man. You wouldn't wake up. I'm like, dude, I don't care about you waking me up, we need to get out of this situation, right? Because he's drunk and he's driving. So he, they throw me in the back of the cop car, handcuffed to my buddy, and there's another friend handcuffed by himself. 
and they found a blade, a knife on the center or on the, on the side console, and they grab it. And through the windshield, they start taunting us. Oh, I'm like, we're in a lot of trouble. Chris, you, you brought a knife. Why would you do that to Mexico? And he says, I hope they don't find the pistol. And I'm like, the pistol? <laughs> so let me backtrack. This Marine was married, got a divorce. You get paid double. And he didn't tell the Marine Corps that he got divorced so he can keep it getting paid double. But now he's got nowhere to live, so he's got all of his personal belongings inside of the vehicle. To include, you know, a knife and a pistol. So the cops are taunting us through the windshield saying, oh, and they're like checking it out. It's a nice gun, right? Whatever. And I'm handcuffed to my buddy and he just keeps saying, I'm sorry, man. I just wanted some strippers. And he just keeps apologizing. I'm like, dude, shut up. Shut up. Let me talk. They don't speak Spanish. I speak Spanish. Um, and so then they pop the trunk and he says, oh, no, dude, I hope they don't find the sniper rifle. I'm like, the sniper rifle? <laughs> yeah, dog. So... Through the windshield, they're like, oh! And again, the whole time, this guy thinks that I'm mad that he didn't wake me up for strippers. <laughs> I'm like, shut up, Chris. I don't care about the strippers, right? I'll get those in the U.S. later, later on. A perfect 10 here in San Antonio, Texas. No. So, so they're driving us all around. And I'm like, don't talk. Let me do all the talking. And as they drive us all around Tijuana, Mexico, they drive us to the top of some hill. And this, this took place over several hours, right? And they drive us to the top of some hill. And, they, you know, there's a cliff. There's the ocean. It's outside of Tijuana. And we're in a super serious situation. I've never had a more tense situation in my life. I'm, I'm handcuffed to my buddy. And the cops get out. They had been driving his vehicle around in front of us. And one cop was driving our cop car around. So... Yeah, so they drive us to the top of this cliff, and I could see the ocean, and me and my buddy said, hey, man, if they get us out of the vehicle, me and you are going to kill the fat one, you're going to kill the skinny one. Real story. We killed all of them. No, I'm just kidding. No. No, so, so uh, it was a super serious situation. I look at them, and we give each other a very serious nod. It was like a team-building exercise, you know, like at that point. And we give each other the nod, and... Uh, Dude, I'm, I'm like, someone's going to die. It might be us, right? And the cop gets in the vehicle, and he just puts it in drive, and he just slowly starts driving off, and we look at each other, and we're like, <sighs> right? So they keep driving us around, and then, um, and then they keep, like, at this point, I just start, I'm talking. They, they don't know what I'm saying because, you know, they don't speak Spanish. And I'm like, listen, you can arrest us, but we've been sent by the U.S. government to kill drug dealers. And if you kill us, or if you arrest us, hundreds of innocent people are going to die. And he's like, shut the fuck up, motherfucker, plastic and pin right now. That's all he kept saying all night, right? And so I'm like, and then he says in Spanish, te vamos a quitar las armas. We're going to take away your firearms. I'm like, they're serialized. Take away our firearms. Dude, the U.S. international incident. And these cops are looking at each other, right? Whatever. And so they drive us to an ATM. They, and one of my friends says, tell them I have $1,000. And I'm like... Mi amigo, say, like, my, my friend here says he's got 250 US dollars. And he's like, he's like, plastic in your pen right now, motherfucker, right? He robs friend A, he robs idiot B, and he goes to rob me, and he says, okay, like, give me your plastic in your pen, and I do what I learned in the Marine Corps. You got to relate to the guy. So I say, like, hey, man, you got kids? And he's like, yeah, what does that matter? And I'm like, I have two daughters. I don't have daughters, by the way, but. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to relate to my captor, and I'm like, 
you know what it's like when your kids go hungry. If I give you money, they're not going to eat for two weeks. And you know what that, he's like, how much do you have in your pocket? I'm like, 27 US dollars. Very specific, right? But I remember it. So he takes the money and he's like, get back in the vehicle. They drive us around hours upon hours, dude. And they drive us to the US border. At this point, it's probably 1 p.m. the next day, right? I could see the United States border. I could see customs agents, right? And they drive us to the border, broad daylight, dude. Pop the trunk, loaded sniper rifle, loaded pistol, put them in the vehicle, and he says in Spanish, ya vete la verga, ya no te quiero ver mi país, get the fuck out of here, I never want to see my country again, and he points to the border, and I'm like, all right, cool, no, we're good, we're good, they uncuff us, they get us in the vehicle, and we sit down, and my friend looks at me, and he's like, dude, what the hell did you tell those cops, and I'm like, I said we're sent by the U.S. government to kill drug dealers, and if they arrest us, hundreds of innocent people are going to die, and that the weapons are serialized, and they couldn't take them, and we're in a top secret, and he's like, what, what, <laughs> And they're both freaking out, right? They have no idea. And so um, anyway, they end up driving us. Uh, again, we, we are, we're in line for quite some time. And uh, I see a sign that says, you know, San Diego, California. And to add on to the uh, stress, there was a changeover. There was the, the customs agent's changeover. It, it just worked out in our favor, right? They do a changeover. And then we get up there. And then the guy sees our stupid haircuts, right? And he's like, passports. And my friend says, Oh, sir, uh, we were just Marines. We just wanted to have a good time in Tijuana for the weekend. And you could tell the guy's a Marine because the first thing he does is this knife hand. And he's like, you idiots. You know you're not supposed to be down there. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, who are you with, Marine? And we say the generic response. It's not even true. We're not with this unit. But we're like, huh, first recon? It's just what you say, right? There, someone in their unit would get in trouble later. I don't care, right? And so he goes, are you idiots bringing anything back from Mexico? And I've never had another more tense moment, right? My heart's racing, you know, in and out of Mexico with freaking sniper rifle and a pistol. He's like, you all bringing anything back from Mexico? And he's like, just ourselves, does that count? <laughs> and then he looks around and he goes, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and so we go and I turn up the radio and it was 2007, Buster Rhymes, one of the hit songs at the time. <laughs> was, this is serious. I hope you had a healthy fear. So I turn up the radio, my friend goes, no, no, we have to cross three red lights, or three green lights. He turns it down, and if you get a red light, we get searched, we're done. International incident, I'm all over Fox and CNN, dude. <laughs> and so we, we hit the first gate, green, third one, or second one, third one, green, green, and as soon as we pass the third one, he just turns it up, and it's, this is serious. And all three of us, the music video, I don't know if you remember, Buster Rhymes was on the hood going like this. So he's like, this is serious. And we're just going like that. And then he's like, Tijuana! We're like, ah! <laughs> anyway, every Marine has that one incredibly unbelievable story. And although there are many like it, this one is mine. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Worth Repeating podcast. There are only three chances left to submit your stories for this series. Visit tpr.org backslash WR to submit your story. Or if you know someone who has a great story, tell them about Worth Repeating. The theme for our next live show on February 14th is Rescued. Stories about being saved by people, places, or even animals. 
Consider submitting your story or join us for the next live show at TPR headquarters. Support for Worth Repeating comes from the 8020 Foundation, do210.com, Texas A&M University at San Antonio, and Real Ale Brewing Company. Worth Repeating is a production of Texas Public Radio.